What is up, Ridge Runner Nation? It's Cam here to intro the podcast version of Ridge Runners Live, episode number 82. Uh, we had this one on with uh, past guest Alex Gold. I'm sure y'all know who he is, but uh, we actually had him on tonight to uh, have the first episode of our, our coach show series that we're going to be starting here, where we bring on a coach from our community, not only to uh, highlight their skills and what they're doing in their platform, but also to uh, hopefully give some some actionable advice to y'all and something that you can take away from uh, from your training. We, um, we took questions from the chat and social media for this one and that'll be uh that'll be the plan um again in the next uh episode for this so yeah hope y'all enjoy it and love you bye Welcome to episode 82 of Ridge Runners Live. Uh, we are so excited to be joined tonight by Coach uh, Alex Gold. Starting off our first episode of our series, we're going to be having an, an Ask a Coach series going from here on out. We're super, super excited to kick things off with Alex. Obviously, previous guest of the show, really, really uh, stout runner himself as well. And we're interested to hear what he's got to say and some of the advice he has for uh, questions that you all have asked on social media. And if you're watching now and you think of a question for Alex, you want to pop in the chat, feel free to do that as well. Um, but we'll go ahead and kick things off. If, if you don't know, my name is Cam Wrench. I am joined tonight by the one and only Wesley Harton. Um, and you know, Wesley, it's it's Groundhog Day today, but Puxatani Phil, he's in Pennsylvania. You're We're here in Montana. Did you see your shadow? I mean, I did. And, you know, it was a very sunny day out here in Missoula, Montana. So, you know, to kind of keep the good vibes going, I'm going to start things off with what everyone is drinking tonight. And I'm going to go back to a throwback to episode 30, where we had Alex Gold on before. And he's a big White Claw guy. But the one thing he said on that show, he said black cherry was a hot take. And so tonight, Ruby Grapefruit. That's the, uh, that's the drink of choice for me tonight. Alex, what are you drinking? Man, that's my favorite flavor. I think just because of the adjective ruby in it, but um, I just think it's kind of fun, right? None of the other flavors have an adjective, but um, I got a uh, hazy IPA from Bell's Brewing, Michigan beer, I guess. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, kind of on absolutely. the hazy IPA kick right now. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And um, it, as Wesley said, you know, it couldn't be a uh, Alex Gold show without White Claws. So I've got a uh, <laughs> natural limes here in front of me for tonight. Um, really excited to kick things off. And I want to, you know, I want to start with a, um, you know, a little bit more of an esoteric question. This is not going to be what you might have expected from a coach show, but I, I want to hear from Alex and uh, hopefully we repeat this with all the other folks we have on later, but you know, why do you coach? Like, let's start there. Um, so Alex, you want to take this away? Yeah. So I guess a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have expected to be on a podcast as a coach, but um, I think it really started back in high school when I started having success in cross country and track. Um, I noticed that um, some of the, you know, people in school that weren't even on the team or like my friend's parents or even like employees at the school would maybe ask me, Hey, like I'm looking to get into running or I'm training for this race. Like it maybe have like a little question, you know, what do you, what do you eat or, you know, even if it's something small, like what shoes should I get? And I realized that it gave me a lot of enjoyment to, um, 
you know, have them then come back and be like, hey, that advice you gave me really helped. And it kind of gave purpose to my own running. And then like fast forward into college where um, I was lucky, lucky enough to run at the University of Illinois. And um, unfortunately in college athletics, especially um, at the highest level, um, there's a lot of mental health struggles. And our team was really exceptional, but we were definitely not immune to that. So um, I kind of took on the role um, as an upperclassman of trying to mentor some of the younger kids. And I realized that um, I, I really enjoyed that part of uh, being a teammate, you know, not as not only like the training side, but, you know, being that person that can help someone get through a tough challenge, which is really what coaching is all about. So then um, when I graduated, I started coaching at Peebles High School. I think we may have talked about that on a prior podcast. And um, kind of that same role in college, I, I really love not only like writing people's training plan, but being the one, you know, you're on the start line and somebody's nervous or, or um, they, you know, have a tough race and you're that one who um, helps them get through it and get to the next start line. Um, I just love that. And I found that I, you know, helping someone else reach their goal gives you more enjoyment maybe than even, you know, when you have that good race and you reach your goal. And I think a lot of people who coach or um, help other people train with them and get into running will find that too. So um, ever since then, I've been, you know, so into coaching. And when I left people's high school, that was when I was like, you know, I don't want to give this up. So I started coaching um, adults in trail and ultra running and um, the rest is history. I, I don't think I ever want to stop anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great answer. And you know, one thing that you um, you kind of hit on there is when when you reach a certain level of success, people start coming to you just immediately. And in part of you know college sports, and I think anyone who's played any college sport or just even known somebody who played college sports knows that that transition is very very difficult, and a lot of kids wash out freshman, sophomore year and, yeah. you know, becoming that, taking on that mentorship role as an upperclassman and, um, what you mentioned doing in high school too, would it be, would it be fair to say then that, you know, coaching a little bit found you instead of you just waking up one morning and being like, Oh, I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. And I think that, um, I mean, if you want to be a coach, I feel like it's got to come from that place where it's just kind of comes you know, not naturally, but that's just the role that you like, because I think if it's like a forced thing, um, that, then it, it, it's just not going, you, you know, it's just not for you. If, if you're just like, oh, I want a career in running, so I want to be a coach. I don't, I don't think it would really work that way. So um, I, I would say, yeah, I, I totally wouldn't have expected to have been a coach in the capacity that I am when I was in high school, but it did seem to find me, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really great. Now let's, uh, let's dive in a little bit into, you know, your, your experience and your background. Um, you know, you've very humbly throughout there that you ran division one college track and cross country. We'll, we'll leave that one at that. Um, but 
you know, do you identify as uh, coming from a, a particular school of thought or as being mentored by other coaches? Yeah, I, I'd say um, a lot of my, you know, getting into like the training side of coaching, um, but also the mental side of coaching. I think a lot of my um, inspiration comes from not only my coaches, but my experiences. And, um, you know, I think being a D1 athlete um, doesn't make you a good coach, but I do think that for me, um, that was a huge um, inspiration for me because, because of the uh, mental struggles that came with it. Um, I think that um, you really have to find your why when you, when you go through, um, you know, something that's a, a really big mental challenge like that. And for some people, maybe that happens um, in a totally different setting. But um, yeah, I, I'd say that uh, a lot of my inspiration came from that, from the mental side. And then um, training wise, I'd say um, I take a lot from my coaches in the past and my current coach, David Roach. I, I um, you know, obviously, because I train with David, um, I really believe in his training. But also, it just so happens that um, before I even knew who David was, um, you know, I took a lot of uh, workouts from Steve Magnus. And um, you know, David will write about Steve Magnus or Jack Daniels or um, take inspiration from them as well. So I, I think running is an interesting sport in that way that, you know, it's a, a very big coaching community and, and people are trying to like help each other become better coaches. But I guess that answers your question. Um, a lot of, like you said, a lot of my uh, coaching experience comes from my experience as an athlete. Yeah, no, that's super great to hear. And, you know, one thing that I kind of want to touch on and kind of have you expand upon is this idea of, you know, finding your why as a, as a runner and as an ultra runner, trail runner, uh, you know, wherever you are in your progression, you know, I think there, there's a lot of people still searching for that in the sport. And one thing that I kind of want to touch on is, you know, when someone comes to you, how, what are your philosophies in trying to get them to find that, um, that portion of, of the sport um, like you did, or you kind of went through it. So kind of talk about how you go from that progression of teaching someone um, just about the mental side of the sport? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it comes from the day-to-day. -day. So um, when I coach, um, there's daily communication. Um, in addition for um, asking my athletes to give me, you know, like, this is how many miles I ran today. These were my paces for the workout and whatnot. I also ask them to write notes and that includes life notes or, you know, mental things that happen in the run. And obviously not every single day is going to be this like groundbreaking experience as we know, but um, a lot of times um, I try to pick up on when an athlete has a tough day, what they say in their log. And sometimes, you know, I might catch on to the fact that, Hey, maybe they're saying something in there that that points to the fact that they're kind of forgetting why why they run in the first place and not really treating themselves, you know, with the you know support that the self support that they need to be giving themselves, and 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 then I might have a conversation or just put a note in their log, um, like hey let let's remember that you know we all do this for fun right like you know. <laughs> And 
and I think part of that too comes from when you first start working with an athlete, um, asking what their goals are and what drives them. Because everyone has a little bit of a different driver, but um, I think that it's important that when they put it on paper, you know, they kind of remind themselves like, oh yeah, I'm running because of this. And if, and, and then also I can look back on that when there are tough times and make sure that we, um, you know, we have that goal in writing and make sure that we remind ourselves like, hey, uh, you know, if you're hating this workout, you know, maybe we got to rethink what we're doing and restructure training or, or maybe just have a conversation with ourselves before we do this next workout. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great answer. And I think I, I hope this isn't too much of a, a, a retread because it feels similar, but do you think in that way that working with a coach is, um, you know, the way people are, you know, when they're going through a difficult time, they'll work with like a therapist and it's like, well, I need to identify, you know, my emotions and such. Or if somebody's like, I love doing this, but you know, I can't, I can't write out why or tell you why I do this. Is that kind of a good area to then get a coach? Is that something that you enjoy helping people with? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, as much as I love the, you know, the training side of it and like, you know, the, the numbers and all that, I much more like the side of being a part of people's lives. And actually, um, you know, for me, my high school coach was such a big impact on like who I am today. So high school coaching was something like, it seemed natural to me. It was like, Oh yeah, of course I want to do that. Like I'd love to, you know, have a quarter of the impact on these kids that my high school coach had on me. But what I found was actually coaching adults is really cool because um, take any person that, that runs or just any person period and when you're their coach, you get to, you, everybody's got struggles, um, you know, whether they're big or small, um, to them, you know, they're big. And as your coach, they become big to you too. So um, it's really cool to be a part of that. And um, if you're someone that, you know, maybe has running experience, but also enjoys, you know, helping your friends through a tough problem. I, I think coaching might really be for you because to me, that's, that's the most fun part of it. And um, obviously I'm not a therapist and it's really important to remember that as a coach and understand when you need to um, refer an athlete to someone who's a professional. But on the other hand, I think um, as a coach, you can have a really big impact on somebody's mental health. And I think my coaches have on mine. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great answer. Um, for, for folks who don't know in, um, in terms of mental health resources, if you, you know, don't know even where to start or, you know, um, financially things aren't looking great for that. Um, bigger than the trail is a, a really great organization that I know of, um, that is designed specifically to help, uh, trail and ultra runners because they were seeing oh, that's this, cool. the, just the massive amount of us who were out there doing these things to, you know, process life events and other things, you know, and they're like, um, kind of that classic thing that I, almost certain David Roach said on a podcast once was is like, you know, trail therapy is good, but like therapy therapy is even better. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's really important for all of us to remember that um, running isn't a substitute for therapy if, if it's really needed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think but that kind thanks of... For, thanks for sharing that because I, I hadn't actually heard of that uh, organization. That's cool. It's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, you know, we're going to, I think if you're listening and you didn't know who Alex was, which I don't know who's listening to our show and doesn't know who Alex is, but, um, you know, I think we've got a, a good sense of, you know, who he is um, and, you know, what he's like as a coach. So let's uh, start diving into some more actionable stuff here. And this is, uh, this is always a favorite question of mine to ask, but what is, uh, what's the one thing that most ultra runners aren't doing that they should be doing? Um, so that's a tough question. Um, cause I think in ultra running, uh, people get a lot of crazy different ideas, some of which are good. Um, but, uh, I think from what I've seen in, in my ultra community, I think if you were going to add one thing to most people that they aren't doing, I would say strides. And by that, I mean, um, it can be anywhere from like, think like four or maybe eight short, um, flat, like almost like a sprint, but you're, you're focusing on running smooth, um, or the same thing, but, um, up a moderate grade. You don't want it to be too steep because, um, then you become limited in how fast you can run and how much power you can put out. Um, but a nice moderate grade, um, you're, you're maximizing your power. So um, the reason for those things um, and, and think like 20 to 30 seconds, or if you're a distance person, like 100 to 200 meters strides. Um, and, and you just put them in the middle of an easy run. You, you can um, jog in between them or you can stand in between them. I personally like to jog because it keeps you warm and uh, you know, I don't know, it just keeps the flow of the run going. But um, I think strides are the one thing that um, you can get a lot out of without, you know, you know, too much injury risk or, or drastically changing your training. Um, and the reason why is because they're going to improve your running economy. And I think the reason why um, in the ultra running world, we don't see as many people doing strides as we do in you know, the track and even road racing world is because um, there's a tendency to think like, oh, I'm running, you know, 50K, 100 miles. Why do I need to practice running at my all-out 5K pace or or whatever your stride effort is? Um, and that's actually, that's actually um, not intuitive, but the reason why it's, so important is because by running the strides you're you're doing a short burst where you're not putting out a lot of effort but you're putting out a lot of speed so you're going to be maximizing your efficiency and that's it reinforcing to your mind your neuromuscular system and also um, all the different systems in your body um, how to run most efficiently and when you do that you're going to improved running economy, which I like to think of the effort that you have to put out to go a certain pace. And if you think about it, that's what ultra running is in a nutshell. If you're able to run your 50K pace at a lower effort, you might prevent a bonk. Or alternatively, if you're 
able to put out the same effort but run just a little bit faster uh, over the course of hours or days if you're into that kind of thing, which um, is kind of crazy. But um, that's going to be a lot of time saved or distance in, you know, saved. So I, I think running economy is really important. And it also just happens to be that one system that as a runner, you can always keep improving, it seems like, over the course of years. I, I think um, VO2 max, which, um, you know, if you read things online, a lot of times people talk about VO2 max as like being like that number that you want to improve to, to get faster. But in reality, if you look at um, pro athletes, and I just bring up pro athletes because they're the ones that are measured, you know, I don't happen to know a lot of people that measure their VO2 max often, but um, pro athletes often throughout their careers don't really improve their VO2 max all that much. So if you think about, um, and, and one athlete that David Roach has talked about on his podcast is Paula Radcliffe, where he mentioned that her uh, VO2 max, when she set the world record in the marathon, she no longer has it, but it was lower than it was many years earlier in high school. So all she was doing was improving her running economy in that time. And I just, I just think that's such an unexplored field in ultra running. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, a one thing I kind of want to talk about now is, you know, this might be a, uh, an Alex Gold trade secret. And kind of that's why I'm kind of uh, giggling here because I'm, really, I'm trying to get you to spill the beans. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to get Alex to give this answer on this live show right now to, to everyone listening. And, but what does it look like on an actionable level? Um, you know, is it, you said you, had, you said you add this into your easy runs, but is this one run a week that you're adding this in? Is it four runs a week that you're adding these strides in? And like you said, if this is a, trade secret feel free to hold that to yourself but that's kind of one thing that i'm thinking about is uh, how many days a week or does it vary per each runner i would say like two to three days a week is what is what i would think of and it doesn't have to be every week you know maybe like once every month or two you take a week where you just run easy but um but uh adding them in about three days most weeks is probably good and another place you can add them in is also um, in the end of a workout. So like, let's say you're doing a workout where you're doing some, like a tempo effort or, or some longer intervals. Then at the very end, if you add in some hill strides, I kind of like doing hill strides instead of flat strides, just because at the end of the workout, you're tired and hill strides have less of an injury risk than flat strides um, because if you think about it, you're not putting as much pounding on your, on your body. Um, adding those in at the end of a workout is, is another great place you can do it. The only thing I wouldn't do is I definitely wouldn't add them in in a long run because in, on your long run day, you're, you're running a lot. And at the end of the, your long run, you're probably going to be a little bit inefficient. So adding them in at the end of a long run is, first of all, an injury risk, but second of all, you know, not the best time to practice running efficiently. Yeah, no, I'm pumped that I was able to get to you to spill the beans on that uh, for for all of our donation there. Uh, Cam, I think you got something. 
I I do. I want to I want to lead off by saying, Wesley, I don't I don't think I've ever heard you say spill the beans before. And you just said it like four times in two minutes. Um, so I don't know if beans and strides are correlated in your mind. If they are, I might I might need to start cooking string them beans. more because I haven't, string beans, I haven't stride seen... beans. I mean, this is the thing that's definitely going to be moving forward now. You're doing your, str- <laughs> your stride beans for string beans. I mean, we got, we got Joe string bean. I mean, come on, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh man! <clears throat> All right. Um, so a follow up for me is, you know, Alex, uh, you mentioned, you know, VO2 max there, right? And um, I think VO2 max is a thing that a lot of people have a seen testing for, especially even in like con like context where it doesn't make sense. I remember, um, in college one time, my roommate was watching a uh, Duke basketball documentary and, um, their big end of like off season tests was they tested everybody's VO two max on a treadmill. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't know why you're doing that for a basketball team. That seems so silly to me. Um, but also a lot of us have, have watches that will throw a VO two max number out at us. Um, you know, so why don't you explain a little bit what exactly VO2 max is for those of us who, who don't really know outside of this is, you know, my Coros says it's a 58 and then that's good. Um, you know, and why exactly <laughs> ultra runners shouldn't be training that. Um, so obviously you want your VO2 max to be as good as it can be, but I think what's important to understand, or I guess maybe that's not obvious. So I'll start with, um, VO2 max, and I don't want to say the exact definition because I'll totally botch it. I haven't looked it up in a while, but it's something about like how efficiently you can use oxygen to um, output, you know, your running effort or your biking walks. And um, the higher the VO2 max, um, the better, the better aerobically fit you are. But um, a lot of that's, going to vary based on age, gender, and obviously genetics. And then as we all know who have those watches that are telling us our VO2 max is going up and down, it improves when you, uh, when you train and, or, or, or regresses. Um, but I think the reason not to obsess over it, first of all, I'll say why not to obsess over it on a watch. Um, I think, our watches are really bad at estimating our VO2 max. Um, if you have a heart rate monitor with like on a wrist strap, it might be a little bit better. Um, I don't. So I, I'm going off of, um, you know, wrist-based heart rate when you're running. Um, it gets confused with your cadence and it's just really not accurate. Also um, in the winter uh, when you don't have as much um, blood in that area, or if you have darker skin, or if you, uh, um, I don't know, there's so many factors that can affect it. So I just tend not to trust the watch. And I actually, um, really wish they didn't show it because I think it can mislead people. And in my opinion, if you have a bad measurement, don't tell people what they're doing in training is good or bad. Uh, cause like, you know, Bit, like it, it'd just be such a shame if you know you you do your best workout you know your big workout before your a race and your watch tells you it was unproductive i i mean that's just such a shame um because even if you tell yourself that you're not going to think about it i think there are some people that would let that get to their heads and um it's just 
don't know. In my opinion, I, I don't like that they do that. But the reason why I don't think we should be obsessing over our VO2 max is because, um, so like your first few years of running, you know how there's that really high improvement rate that you have and running so much fun because every time you race, you PR and it's just awesome. Um, I think in that period, you're probably seeing an improvement in your VO2 max as part of the reason that, that you're improving so much. But um, those of us who are already motivated athletes and have been motivated athletes for several years, um, we're probably not going to see much of a gain in our VO2 max. And in order to see just a little bit of gain, you'd have to do a lot of bit more training, which might have other, um, you know, detriments. Uh, like maybe, maybe you'll, you'd have to train to the point where you end up getting injured or you end up hurting your running economy because you're so tired. You're improving your, your heart fitness, but your legs aren't, aren't being do, done a service anymore. Um, or your efficiency. And um, I think what what you'll see at that point is that most of your improvement will come from improving running economy instead. Um, even later in your career or later in your life as you age, you can still continue to work on running economy. And think about it just like, you know, shooting a basketball or working on your golf swing. Um, as runners, we not only have to put out the effort like bikers do, but bikers have a machine that turns those watts into miles per hour. We are the machine as runners. So a lot of your improvement will come from improving the efficiency of that machine. And so um, I think a lot of ultra runners would be better served um, focusing on that than worrying about these long, grueling efforts that maybe have some aerobic benefit, but after a certain point, um, you're practicing the opposite of what I was talking about with strides, where you're actually high effort and low efficiency because you're running on tired legs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a really great answer. And I, I, I was so flabbergasted. I thought that, uh, you know, wrist-based, uh, the optical heart rate not working on um, people with darker skin was like, pretty common knowledge. Uh, I remember a few months ago, definitely telling Wesley, like, you're not having a heart attack. Don't go to the hospital. Um, your heart rate being 200 on an easy run is Sunto's fault, not yours. <laughs> Every um, single run. <laughs> Max effort, 205. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, isn't it a shame that they didn't, like, make sure that it worked on, you know, people with darker skin? It just seems like such an oversight, but... I don't know. Or maybe they just decided it was too difficult. I don't know. Yeah. Nevertheless, not, not super great, but we'll move past that. Uh, you know, Maggie Salanders in the chat and she said that she does appreciate your, your comments on the VO two max. Uh, she said that when the VO two max reading, uh, like when she loses a point that it devastates her naturally. So, uh, hopefully moving forward, you know, she'll kind of just toss that to the side and, and not worry about it in her training. Yeah, actually, one thing that I've done, um, it started when I had an ultra and I wanted to save battery life, but I turned off the wrist-based heart rate and then I stopped keeping it on. And I was like, wow, this is great. I don't get the alert about how crappy I feel today when I think I feel good. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I don't know. That's, it, it's a win-win because you get more battery life. 
Yeah. But um, if you are, I guess one thing I will say though, if you are using it um, in, in non-running uses, like, like um, I use it in the sauna um, to, to watch my heart rate. Um, It's actually really accurate um, for most people when you're not running and it doesn't get messed up by the cadence. Yeah, that's a good, um, you know, good note. And then also, um, you know, good disclaimer there that, you know, kind of the, the daily monitoring aspect of it seems, um, really useful. And then there's also, uh, the fact that it's, even if it's inaccurate, it's always going to be inaccurate, probably by the same amount. So if it says that you're, you know, if you know that your heart rate is, you know, 50 in your resting heart rate, let's say when you wake up in the morning, but your watch always says it's 75. You're like, okay, well, when I'm going about my daily life, I know that this is, you know, generally about this much higher and you can kind of compare based on that as well. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to move to some of the questions that we got from uh, from social media in the run up to this show. Um, and just for future reference, when we're going to be be doing these shows again, you know, we're going to try to pull questions from social media before. So if you're listening now and you're like, ah, like I wish, you know, I got something in next time, we'll we'll make a you know a post on Instagram, Facebook about it, and you can just pop a question in there and we'll uh, we'll add it to uh, to the list. But um, one of the ones we got from social media this time was for long distance, would you prioritize speed work, hill training or strength training? So, yes, I would. Um, and maybe I'll just talk about um, how I would prioritize all those things. So I talked a little about doing strides um, and speed work. I also would recommend um, doing some faster workouts, um, maybe once a week or or sometimes I add some in the long run as well. Um, those are going to improve your aerobic fitness, but also just like strides, they're going to help improve your running economy. And um, just make sure, like with strides, that um, you're running efficiently and you're feeling good and smooth. Um, I, I don't want my athletes to think of workouts as like a race or as a sprint because um, then you start tensing up and actually running more inefficiently and then they can be counterproductive and also have a bigger injury risk or put you in a hole. So just make sure that um, you're not trying to impress all your friends on Strava when you do speed work, um, but you can impress them a little. Uh, and then uh, I also recommend uh, Hills was the other thing. So um, um I definitely like to do um, uphill workouts. Um, they're, one benefit is that they uh, are they have less of an injury risk. I, I think I said that before. So especially if you're like an older athlete or you struggle with injuries, um, when you do speed work, maybe consider doing speed work on an uphill grade. Um, and I, I said this before, but it doesn't need to be steep. Um, a moderate, like, like six ish percent grade is perfect because at, at a really high grade, um, like if you kind of look at your grade adjusted pace on Strava or, or if you think about how much power you're putting out, you're, you get limited at a high grade with how much power you can put out. Um, but at a, at a medium grade, you're going to be putting out more power than you would even on a, on a 
flat interval. So that can double as almost like strength work, which was the third thing someone asked about. But I guess before I'll get get to that, um, I'll just say the other thing I think is important with hills is since this is a trail running podcast, if you're doing a race with vert um, year round, um, it's great to, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be all the time, but on weekends, if you can get your long runs with vert sometimes and practice running those downhills hard. And then especially in the, in the lead up to the race, the last couple months, um, if you can get your long runs on as much vert per mile or similar to what you're going to see in the race and really emphasize running hard on the downhills. Um, the reason for that is because on, on the steep downhills on trails, um, the muscle contractions and the, and the trauma that your legs experience uh, on those hard downhills is very similar to what you're going to experience at the end of an ultra. So if you can practice in, in your long runs, maybe like a back-to-back Saturday, Sunday, in that race-specific phase, running those downhills hard, um, that's going to set you up so that late in the race, you're able to run downhills all the way through. And it's also going to protect your legs so that you still have freshness to run the uphill too. Um, and then the last thing um, was strength work. So I think with strength work, it's really important not to do too much and to be, be consistent. Um, doing too much can be counterproductive because um, most of us, um, we're not gifted slow twitch athletes. And if, if we, um, if we uh, work too much on like lifting heavy weights, it's going to turn our muscles more like a fast twitch athlete, which is not what you want when you're running an ultra. So um, we don't want to be lifting heavy weights. And honestly, I do everything with body weight. That's all I recommend for my athletes. Um, And I'd really recommend um, either something similar or using David Roach's mountain legs routine. Um, It's three minutes. And and the reason for that is because I think he hits the, he hits it perfect with that. Most runners struggle to be consistent with strength work. And um, the reason that's such, such an issue is if, if you do something but you're inconsistent with it, all it's going to do is make you sore and, and you're really not going to get anything out of it. But I think, you know, when you look online and you get some of these complicated strength routines, um, it, it's just hard to fit that in a busy runner's schedule. So come up with something that's really simple and just works on like, you know, the core and legs and, and, you know, I, I do pull-ups too, cause they, they work on core pull-ups and push-ups. Um, something that's really quick because that way you're going to keep doing it. And if you can do something like twice a week, three times a week, um, I think that's going to do you a a big service in, um, in, in your running, because you don't want your biggest strength work to be your running. Cause then the second running becomes hard. That's going to be the hardest your muscles ever have to work. And that's not really what you want. You want your muscles to be prepared to do a little bit more than what they're going to have to encounter on race day. Yeah, that's a um, <clears throat> that's a really great uh, answer there to to a lot of topics. You know, and I think um, 
you know, I, I really liked your point about, you know, like you shouldn't just be going out to impress people on Strava and they should be, you know, maybe they'll be a little impressed. And this is uh, my time to be like, you should be a little impressed with what I've been doing uh, just because, you know, like it's, it's good for me, not in the grand scheme of things. If you also follow Jim Wamsley, you don't even see what I'm like. I don't even think it's visible on Strava when you're scrolling through your feed, but it's like, okay, like, you know, I mean, I don't you know, have many a little friends faster. that are working out in Montana. So I get real excited <laughs> when I see your post. Uh, uh, thank you for that. Um, Alex, you know, um, and, uh, another question that we had, um, from our Instagram page was, uh, what considerations, uh, would you add for athletes focusing on uh, a backyard ultra style race? Yeah. So, um, the first thing to consider is, are you sure you want to be doing this? It's pretty crazy. Um, but once you get past that, and I guess you still, for some reason, want to do a backyard ultra, I'm, I'm kidding, but, um, I, I think there's a few differences in a backyard ultra than maybe um, other races. So I'll focus on those. Um, one of which is you're going to be running at various times of the day. So one thing you could consider is if you're a higher mileage athlete, add some easy doubles, maybe after your workout day, just like a 20 to 30 minute. And they could be like a total jog. Um, it gets your body used to running multiple times in the day. Um, and, and by body, I know not only mean like from a fitness standpoint, but also um, your stomach, also your mind. Um, a lot of those things can be helpful in a backyard ultra, because if you're, if, if you're always running at the same time every day, you might, you know, if you're a morning guy, you might run in the afternoon and then realize you have stomach issues. So I think, I think, that can be a good tool. Or if you're not a high mileage athlete, maybe just consider doing a few long runs, especially in the race specific phase um, in the middle of the night or something, um, you know, mix it up. That's another way you can do it. Um, but I wouldn't get in the habit of running in the middle of the night all the time because um, that's going to have more of a detriment on your, on your physical health, which um, <laughs> that, that's not going to help because, it's a long enough race. You don't want to spin, show up to uh, the first yard and be uh, unhealthy. Um, but a another thing that I'd recommend to uh, um, an athlete doing a backyard ultra is, and, and I really recommend this to all um, athletes, is to fuel on any longer run, any run over like 80, 90 minutes. Even if you don't need it, um, there's a few reasons for that. One, um, it has so many benefits in your training and in your overall health. Um, but also, um, you can really train your stomach. And in a backyard ultra versus maybe like a 50K, um, you're probably not going to be able to just use gels the entire time. And if that's the case for you, um, I would, in those long runs, even if it's a pain in the butt and you have to stop back at your house, try and eat the food that you're going to eat in the backyard ultra because that's going to train your stomach to be used to it. Just like, you know, if you're someone that always eats pizza before a long run, you know, eating pizza before race day, is probably a good idea. But if you're not, and you eat pizza before race day, you know, that could be a huge risk. The same way with during the race, you know, you want to get used to the food that you're going to be eating during, during the race. 
Um, and then one other thing, I talked about this a little bit, but in the race specific phase, um, really focusing on downhills hard on trails, not on roads. Roads can be an injury risk, but also you want that steepness that a trail has um, because that's going to give those those um, same muscle contractions that your legs experience at the end of a really long backyard ultra, even though backyard ultras don't have a lot of vert. Um, uh, and um, so I think that's one race where even though it doesn't have a lot of vert, I would really recommend getting on trails with vert and running hard downhills in the race specific phase during your back-to-back because um, you're not going to be able to stimulate the, the trauma and you wouldn't want to um, in training any other way. Um, you're not going to go out for a, for a two-day run to train for a backyard ultra. So some of it's going to be going into the unknown, but the best way you can train your legs for that is, is through that and in the strength work that we talked about. Yeah, that's a that's a really great and uh, a detailed answer. I know a lot of our folks are gearing up for you know OBU or another backyard ultra. Um, I will also say I loved your comment about you know like oh if you eat uh if you eat pizza the night before a race you should do that uh, or the night before your long run every time you should do that uh before a race. And I will say you know just like I think you should just probably eat pizza just as much as possible like like I'm doing personally. I completely um, agree. <laughs> Yeah, no, no need to shortcut the uh, the the pizza intake. That's that's for sure. Um, Alex, kind of follow yeah. up on the backyard ultra question. You know, this is one that I feel like is often discussed with you know all different types of people. You know, whether it's your first backyard ultra or you've done a couple of them, you want to get better, or you know you've been one of the last couple of people in the race. Um, this topic kind of always comes up, and it's in regards to training. You talked about the food that you're going to take and you, how you should practice with that. Would you personally advise your athletes? to practice the rest intervals and how to be efficient in those rest intervals um, based on the fact that they are slightly different than other races? Yeah, I think that's something worth practicing. Um, if, if it's your first one and you're trying to be competitive in it. Um, but um, I think if you've done it before, I don't think that's uber critical. Um, but um, you know, the, the only the only reason I, I would recommend um, practicing it if if it's your first one is just from a logistical standpoint because you might notice um, you know your setup is better if you do X Y and Z and have your crew or at least maybe your crew chief if it's a close friend or or somebody that's going to be on your crew maybe practice that with you because um, just like with any ultra there's so many logistics involved. And that can be such a, a source of improvement from your first to your second one. Um, it, it, it's just unbelievable, like how many things you, you'll do your first ultra and you're, you've done the perfect training, but it's like, oh, I wish I had thought more about, you know, that my vest was chafing. And, you know, something as small as that can make a big difference. So I think that's a great point, Wes, because it is such a unique aid station type thing and you're really in charge of it yourself so that that would be something that you want to you want to have mastered because the last thing you want to do is be stressing about it during the race or or even the night before when you're going to sleep i think we all know um you know it's stressful enough the night before any race but before an ultra where there's all these logistics 
I'm always like, especially my first hundred, I was like, I woke up like a million times. It's like, oh, I forgot about this. I forgot about that. Like, you know, it's just nicer if you can sleep a little bit. Not that, not that uh, anyone gets good sleep before an ultra. I mean, if they don't get good sleep for back at ultra, they've got eight minutes every hour to catch up on sleep. Uh, so they should be, <laughs> they should be just fine out there. Uh, one chat question that did come in, we were kind of talking about food related things. was from Max Long, and he says, uh, "Big big meal before a marathon, the night before or two nights before the race. Which one would you advise?" So, first of all, always eat a big meal. But um, I'm big on having one the night before, but not especially big. Um, I think it's there's a tendency to um, eat a really big meal. And part of this comes into to, to play that you're traveling off in the races, right? Um, because of the travel that's sometimes involved, you're not eating your normal meal. So what I'd recommend is practicing what you think you're going to eat um, before the, the marathon, before your long runs as well. And um, for me, um, I like to eat pizza before. And I just eat a crap ton of pizza before. And my body's used to that. And I eat the same crap ton before a marathon. Um, but um, but I, I would just, you know, don't eat way more than you do before your long run. Because, you know, you, you just might end up with bathroom issues is all. But uh, um, night before, I guess, would be my answer. And keep eating big meals, you know, every day. And even when you're tapering, um, because, uh, that's just money in the bank for race day. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely agree about the, uh, the bathroom thing. Um, especially, you know, my, my experience, Shawnee 50, uh, you know, road tripping there from Chicago and, uh, bringing, you know, a Chicago deep dish with me pre night before the race. Wow. That's uh, not an ideal cold, you know, cold pizza night before the race. I'm, I'm a blame deep dish. I'm a blame Chicago for that. Um, but, um, you know, we got a, another question in the chat from, uh, Eric Anderson. And he also mentioned, you know, like, uh, Oh, think Michael Scott on the office 5k. I'm assuming Alex doesn't recommend, you know, uh, getting in the fettuccine Alfredo in the five minutes before the race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Five minutes before, not the time. <laughs> But um, I do recommend, you know, a nice caffeinated gel if, if, if you can handle caffeine or, or, um, or a regular gel or, or whatever type of feeling you have. Um, and also, um, I drink like, you know, a bottle of Tailwind or your energy drink of choice during that 90 minutes before. Um, so you're starting the race hydrated. I, I think it's really good to think about race hydration, not from a need standpoint, but from a, hey, this could actually be a performance enhancer. Um, hydration is really um, correlated with performance. And, um, you know, when I did my first marathon, um, I thought it was more of like a need thing. And, and, and I was really doing myself a disservice there. Um, it, and so, um, Starting the race hydrated can be a really big advantage, and that's going to serve you a little better than fettuccine Alfredo in that um, hour and a half before the race, or five minutes if you're Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, it's a 
performance enhancer comment, you know, um, you know, you heard it here first, like uh, Tailwind is equivalent to Diana Ball. <laughs> Sorry, I had to make that <laughs> reference. You can tell I was a, I'm a reformed meathead Just here. Don't have the but, pork uh, burrito flavored Tailwind. <laughs> Oh, I got a, I got a lot of thoughts about that, and I have to I have to not say them. Uh, Eric Anderson does have a legitimate question here in the chat, um, and he says, "Any tips for people doing uh, big mountain races who have limited access to vert and training? Asking for a friend. Um, it's like I don't know who that friend is, Eric, but uh, you know, maybe just tell him to move to the west. Right? It's worked for me. Yeah, so." So I guess I'll talk a little bit about what I did um, leading up to the Bear 100 um, and what I had some of my athletes do who were training for Leadville um, last year because I had several athletes doing Leadville. And um, this this uh, worked really well for all of us. Um, so try and get vert when you can year-round. You know, I know that if you're living in the Midwest, you're probably not going to be able to, you know, like Cam run run up a 2000 foot climb on a weekday, but, um, you know, on your weekend or whenever that is, you know, maybe in the middle of the week for you, um, try and get out to vert when you can, um, or when weather permits, you know, we're in winter right now. And if trails are in terrible shape, that's okay. If you can't get for, you know, for a few weeks, but as you get closer to the race, especially in the race specific phase, which, is like the two months before race day. Um, I'd recommend, and for, I'll just answer, I guess, for like a normal schedule person, Saturday, getting a big long run in, um, you know, I think maybe at the highest I would ever recommend, even an advanced athlete going, is 25. Um, and um, get lots of vert that's steep in that long run. And I think you know, maybe you don't have access to a 2000 foot descent, but if you have access to a 200 foot descent or, or even a 100 practice running down that steep, uh, the, the steepest uh, descent you can find and maybe just do it over and over again a few times um, and, and running it harder than you would in the race. Um, and then doing it again on Sunday, but maybe a little bit shorter. Um and, and you, you know, like the highest I had my athletes get to and I got to was 25 Saturday at 20 Sunday, one week, like three or four weeks out. Um, but you can do that in your, you know, shorter long runs too in that two month phase. And um, over the course of those two months, I think you'll really build um, resilience in your legs. Um, the, the muscle contractions I was talking about earlier, which, um, I think that you can get enough in, at least you can in Cincinnati to prepare for um, any mountain race out there. I would say if, if you live in maybe like central Ohio where there's um, not the same amount of vert or, or somewhere else where it's just complete and totally flat. Um, if you can uh, organize with your family, uh, Hey, maybe, uh, you know, during this two month period, I'm going to do a couple uh drives out somewhere with vert i think i think that's really necessary and it, if you're going through the the time and effort and money to go race out in the mountains i think i think you owe it to yourself to do that and then the one other thing you can do um 
if you really just don't have any terrain that would mimic that, uh, the terrain of the race, or if this race is like your A race of your life, like maybe you just got your lottery in the Western States, or um, like you're just going for it for one reason or not, um, consider doing a training trip um, and like three or four weeks out, going and flying out to wherever you're going to race and doing like a three day weekend on the trail um, where you, where you get big vert and you're practicing the downhill. I mean, it would be a fun vacation too. Just maybe don't bring your spouse if they're not an ultra runner, because they're probably not going to be having any fun on this vacation. But um, I, I think that's, that's a, another great tool that, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, you don't have to be a professional athlete to get a three-day weekend in the mountains. So I think a lot of us can do that. Yeah, and Cam said anyone that wants to come out and visit Missoula, Montana, the couch is open. So if you're looking for, you know, we'll catch, just get the plane ticket out and then you don't have to worry about the the lodging and whatnot. So we'll make sure you get your training in for those big mountain hundreds that uh, Return Nation's got planned well, for Well, now you have no year. excuse. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah, we're we're doing all we can. You know, you're providing the expert advice. We're bringing our two percent into this, and we're gonna try to make some goals happen this year. I mean, you do have to fly into Missoula. That's not a, you know, there's not exactly a bunch of direct flights leaving from Ohio to here. No, there aren't. But Eric's North Carolina. You can get out to Charlotte. Charlotte's a quick jump. That's uh, no issue at all. He'll connect in Denver or Salt Lake. Yeah, Eric, you're. You're basically here. Golden. Yeah, he's, he basically lives in Montana at this point. But uh, one thing I do want to kind of jump to the next question here real quick is from Tara Dower in our YouTube or awesome YouTube channel, Tara, awesome YouTube channel, Tara Treks. Uh, she said that how many calories an hour during a hundred miler would you recommend? I always have... St- Oh boy, always have stomach troubles. That that's the toughest word I've ever used in my entire life. Trouble stomach. I maybe that's not me. And uh, energy issues. Um, she tends to go for about three hundred calories per hour. So, um, do you think this is more individualized per the person, or is there a specific number that you kind of advise your athletes to hit uh, during a one hundred mile race specifically? Yeah. So for um, for like a starting point for most athletes, I recommend. Um, two gels an hour. So that's going to be 200 calories plus energy drink to get a little bit more. And then what I like to say is um, if you start to feel hungry um, or, or even just a little bit tired or your legs are, are feeling a little bit um, like they lost their bounce during the hundred um, during that hour, maybe increase it, uh, take a gel every 20 minutes instead of every 30. Um, but but just make sure you're uh, listening to your body. And then um, you you did ask, yeah, is it individual? Yes, it totally is. Um, I've had athletes training for 100 miles that need to take, you know, double that um, just because they burn so many calories per hour. And that's totally, that's totally fine. You know, um, just make sure you're doing it. Um, but I would say... Um, if you are having stomach issues, try maybe a different brand of, of gel or a different brand of energy drink. Um, I think that you can, I, I used to have stomach issues just using um, this one brand of gel where, where, where I was, you know, I had stomach issues in a 50 K with that brand of gel. Oh, throw them under the bus. Getting into ultra. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not going to, but I'll, I'll say the, the good one. Um, and and um, in my, uh, you, you know, now I can run a hundred miler where I, I know some people think you need to do real food in a hundred mile. I've done a hundred miler in the mountains. So it was a long, a long affair where all I did was gels. So, and, and that was with goo roctane. I, I just, for, for whatever reason, I think they're so easy on the stomach and ironically goo doesn't work for me, but goo roctane um, is just so easy to get down. And um, just be careful if you don't like caffeine, because a lot of the flavors are caffeinated, but um, goo roctane and tailwind, I was just doing it all day and that was enough for me. So, um, but I would recommend supplementing with energy drink um, because it's just a nice way to get more than that normally recommended 200. And in addition to that, um, it's easier to absorb hydration wise. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, so, and, and, and usually tailwind or, or similar energy drinks are, are real easy on the stomach. Yeah, no, that's great tips there. And I was really hoping that you'd uh, toss that brain under the bus there, but we'll let you off the hook uh, this time. Uh, another quick question here in the chat before we dive into our actual quick questions to wrap up this episode. So if you have any final questions, get those in there and we'll rapid fire through these before we end tonight. And this one's from Maggie Salander. She says, uh, tips on how to stop spraining your big toes. Um, so I'm not sure if, you're talking about like on roots and rocks or if, um, you know, maybe it's happening later in trail races. Cause one thing that I have noticed is, um, it's common for runners, even really serious runners to have their shoes be a little too small. Um, I think people don't realize the extent that you're, um, I actually worked uh, in footwear and I, I got really into the shoe side of things. Um, when I was in college, but um, your your foot swells up a good bit. So make sure you have a full thumbs width at least. Um, well, maybe not, you know, way more than that, but a full thumbs width, a healthy thumbs width in front of your toes to the end of the shoe. Um, because late in an ultra, especially your foot might swell up a lot. Another thing you can do to prevent some of that swelling is getting good running socks. Um, it's amazing the technology. I ran my first hundred miler in cotton socks and um, I couldn't see my ankles at all after the race that my feet had just ballooned up so much. But um, like now I can finish a hundred and, you know, in like the nice dry max socks or whatever, you know, there's so many good sock companies. Now. And you like finish the race and like your feet look like you like just came out of the shower, but they're like a little dirty maybe it's like unbelievable um but um yeah I, and then i guess you know if you're stubbing them on on roots i would just say um a couple things practice uh just practice running on trails and also try not to be so tense um ironically um if you're careful as you're like running downhills on trails um it's actually going to lead to more of those like ankle twisties and bad steps. Whereas if, if you're just thinking like not one step at a time, but just kind of flowing down the trail and taking nice quick strides, like bouncing right off, then even when you miss steps, you're going to bounce right off. And like, even if you, if, if you don't land on like the perfect ground, you're not going to have that like big ankle twist unless you get really unlucky and you just like totally hit it wrong. 
Um, so, and, and that might help with the, with the stubbing your toe as well, because if you hit your toe on the root and you're just like, you know, you're thinking like 10 steps at a time, you're just like bouncing right off the trail. Um, it's not going to have that like, you know, consequence where you like hit it and thud and you're like stuck there for a little bit. Yeah. And I, I, I can't believe there's another guy out there who's run a hundred miler in cotton socks. I Let's just go. <laughs> I, Wesley is going to be so, I just, I, I can't deal with this. I, I introduced him to what, uh, actually, to be fair, it was probably just the mere existence of Marino. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like even like, weeks hey, these ago. do exist. Yeah, this is, this is good. It was just, I got tired. I have seen him so many times just getting ready for a run, putting on cotton socks. And I mean, any kind of run, no matter, it's four degrees in Montana <laughs> and he's going to go do a 12 miler. Or, you know, we're getting ready to run the whole Grand Teton circumnavigation, putting on socks with holes in them. <laughs> cotton socks i don't <laughs> this guy's feet are not human like i don't even i can't even understand it like anyways awesome. um but, yeah i found you. out about wool socks i didn't know that was a thing so yeah do your research <laughs> on the technology that's out there nowadays and you know get yourself you said you dry max you know that's another good option so uh yeah, yeah. You don't have to, you and don't they're have like to do. they're super yeah they're super expensive you know when you like it's like oh i gotta pay like you know, $16 for a pair of socks. But like, when you think about it in that, like, you know, you only really need it for your bigger trail runs. So if you could just acquire over time, like two or three pairs of these nice socks and then just save them for your long run days or your big trail days, or maybe your hard workout day too. Um, that's enough. So yeah, hopefully they're stylish. That's that's what I'm looking for. You know, like Rim to River, you know, I rocked the same pair of cotton socks the entire race, didn't change socks once. So, like, as long as these things are stylish too, a little bit, I think I'm all in. <laughs> this is just, I, I just, I, I just, I don't even know where to start with this guy, to be honest. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get into our, our rapid fire questions to end the show. We've been so stoked to have Alex on. There's been just a ton of great insight in this show. Um, if you do have any last quick comments uh, in the chat, go ahead and drop those in there. We'll add those in here. But uh, we're going to start off these rapid fire ones. Alex, what is your favorite interval workout to assign to an athlete? Oh, boy. Okay, so I think my favorite um, is just like, 10 by one minute intervals and you can break up, you know, how the recovery is, but I think there's something about those short intervals where you just like find your flow and some athletes find, you know, honestly myself included, you kind of find like speed you didn't remember that you had, um, especially if you've been working on running economy prior to this workout. Um, so maybe, you know, after you've had a little bit of, you know, Maybe you like are just starting to build up after the, the race. You've done like a few weeks of strides. You get that one minute interval workout. It's just like a nice way to like get your body ready for the training block. Like here's some fast intervals and, and it just feels so good. Um, but my favorite, um, you know, before a race is um, three minute hill intervals because Something about three-minute hill intervals, um, it, it's just so brutally long, but it's just short enough that you can really, like, give it your best effort. And I, I think that's just, like, such a great way to, like, you know, maybe two, three weeks out before a race, 
um, um, you finish those three minute hill intervals and you're like mentally I'm ready to, I'm ready for anything. Yeah. Great answer. Um, and what is your favorite type of cross training or favorite, uh, cross training exercise? Um, so I would say biking is my favorite. Um, I'm one of the worst swimmers, um, in the entire world, I would say I'm like on the border of like, I, I don't even know if I could be considered as like knowing how to swim. So biking's really my Cam thing when too. it comes to cross training. I, I was going to say, don't, don't worry. <laughs> I, I always, I describe myself. It's like, I can mostly not drown for not very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's about how I am. So, um, I don't think any triathlons are in my future, but I, I love cycling. Um, I think it's fun because, you can just see so much in a single ride. Are you outdoors only or are you on the Peloton too? Um, so I did get a Zwift, uh, or a Zwift trainer, um, which I absolutely love. I, I, I just think it's so much fun that, especially I think, you know, living in the Midwest that I can go ride in the Alps, um, in my garage. Pretty cool. Um, obviously it's virtual, but, um, it's just so cool. So I, I love the Zwift and it's amazing. Like that they created a form of indoor exercise that like doesn't get excruciatingly boring after an hour. Yeah. It's uh bad luck for, uh, Wesley's former employer that, you know, like nobody's here to remind them now that you can make a indoor exercise, not boring. Um, but with that, that, uh, that shot that I just threw aside, (laughs) um, Alex, what other sport do you think that you could coach? Ooh, um, I think I could coach baseball as long as it was like, you know, I I don't think I'd feel comfortable coaching like high school, but baseball is what I played up until high school and it's my favorite sport. And I'd like to think I'm pretty knowledgeable in it. Basketball. Okay. Okay. What are we doing? <laughs> this guy this guy gets buckets. It's his Instagram name. Not a basketball Gold coach. Gets oh, buckets. Oh, not I'm picking sorry. basketball. No, no, no. It's baseball it is. I'm all I about it. I didn't do the punchline. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> we we've set that one up I for like you. I like basketball too. <laughs> all, all right. And what is your um, Yeah. What is your uh dream athlete and or team to coach? Oh, okay. Um, I guess for a dream athlete, um, it's fun for me to coach someone who's a little bit new to the sport, but super motivated when it comes to um, not necessarily like, um, you know, maybe they still need support when it comes to racing and workouts, but they're willing to fill out the log with great detail every day so I can really get an insight into how they're feeling because, you know, the more an athlete gives me, um, the more I can be a part of their, you know, daily struggle. You know, it, there's a variance between like, you know, some athletes will tell me just about their run, but other athletes really give me an insight to their life. And I feel like I generate a better relationship with those athletes. Um, but I also would say, because you kind of asked me earlier about um, how like maybe some of my success as a runner helped me become a coach. 
And, you know, it was just a fact of life that um, in the running world that it's easier to get people to trust you as a coach if you've had success as an athlete. That's just how it is. Uh, And obviously there's great coaches that haven't had success as an athlete, but but a lot of them have. And um, one thing that is a personal goal for me is to eventually have an athlete that um, is like just far and away better than I am as a runner, because um, I think that would be really cool just to feel like, Hey, someone, someone that's much better than me, trust me as their coach. Yeah. Yeah, It's a, I personally love that answer. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're looking for that athlete, Alex, just let me know and I'll uh, hop on your team. And, uh, just, can't, just, can't believe he said that. And I was, I was here getting ready to mention, you know, like, yeah, this is why all my, all my Strava captions are so melodramatic. It's like, I'm, I'm just ready to be coached by anybody who follows me. It's like you, you get this insight into what's happening in my life. If you want it or not. No, Alex knows that's a joke. After I love his, it. Uh, Mohican yeah. performance and you know catching me super quick uh at that race so uh that was that was wild last summer for sure that was so fun seeing you out there but yeah let's uh dive into our final question here is what is your biggest goal as a coach um i guess i just don't have a specific goal for me as a coach as much as um i just try to think of it more as goals for each athlete and um Obviously, you know, some athletes, it's not going to work out for one way or another, but um, for every athlete, I just want them to enjoy running more than they ever have as a result of uh, being coached by me or help them learn how to enjoy running, you know, in the future, maybe even after they're done being coached by me. Because um, I think a lot of people think of a coach as someone like that can help them get faster. And that is certainly, you know, you know, a a great way to evaluate a coach. But I think what a lot of people who maybe don't have a coach might not realize is that if you already are motivated enough to get out the door and then you add in having a coach, I think it's going to make running a lot more fun for you because, um, it gives you that sense of purpose every day. Like rather than like wondering when you're three miles in or when you're three intervals into a workout, Hey, should I do this or that or change the workout? Or like, am I just being soft or do I actually feel like crap? It's so nice to just be like, no, this is what I'm doing today. Unless I get injured or like something goes terribly wrong. This is the best thing for me. And it, it allows you to really, um, you know, have a sense of direction with your running that I think makes it a lot more fun for people. But then obviously there's the mental side of it as well that I try to help athletes with. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful way to kind of sum up everything and kind of your holistic approach to, you know, all the athletes that you're currently, uh, you know, training kind of before we officially let you wrap up here, I do want to, uh, if you're remiss to ask, you know, are you still taking athletes currently? Uh, is there room to hop on uh, team gold? Yeah, there is. So, um, um, I actually things are wrapping up with this program. I had to take classes with for work. Um, so I am at the point where, um, I am going to be taking on more athletes 
So, um, yeah, definitely uh, feel free to reach out if you're interested and we can see if it's a good fit for you. Awesome. And before we get out of here, do you have any final thank yous or sponsors you'd like to plug? Um, I'm not a sponsored athlete. Um, I, I'm wearing my ultra running mag uh, shirt as I, as I, uh, am an ambassador, I guess, but I would say, um, just, you know, keep reading, uh, ultra running mag trail running trail runner mag, um, keep learning. There there's plenty of great, uh, great, uh, training plans out there. Um, if you're interested in having more direction in your training, but you, uh, you don't, feel like you want to have uh, one-on-one coaching yeah no, that's, and then that's... I, i'd like to thank you guys as well um because um it's a really big honor that you chose me as the the coach for the first coach podcast i mean i always love being on the podcast but um i think it's especially a big honor to be chosen as a coach versus as a runner well, you definitely set the bar high. So everyone else that's uh, coming on, you know, in the near future with the part of this Ask a Coach series, uh, the bar has been set. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on tonight to uh, join us and kind of take all kinds of questions from Regenerate Nation in regards to their training and the races that they have coming up. Um, as always, you know, you can find the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We're on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next week, we'll be back for another episode of Ridge Hunters Live. Until then, we'll see everyone on the next episode. Ridge Runner Nation, thank you again for tuning in to another Ridge Runners Live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Version Our Nation.